0: What does it look like to actually take care of yourself and do it well? That's what we're going to talk about in today's episode. I talked to Dr. Shayna Ali about what self-love is and the components of it. There's actually seven of them, which include self-care. We talk a lot about that and what that can look like for healthy self-care, which isn't always what we want to do or what we see other people do. We talk about self-kindness, what does it be, mean to actually be kind to ourselves and even self-growth. A lot of great takeaways that I hope you all hear from this one, she gives some really tactical practices that you can begin implementing today to help you have better mental well-being and to have better love for yourself. Let's dive into today's episode. Physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. These are the four areas of attraction, or as us insiders like to call it, the pies. Join me, Kimberly Beam Holmes, as we speak with other experts around the world on how to become the most attractive that you can be. Create confidence and find happiness. We will teach you how. It starts with attraction, and it starts now. People ask me all the time, Kimberly, which area of my pies should I focus on first? And the answer to that question is the one where you need to see the most growth. That is why I have created an attraction assessment. This free assessment is designed to help you learn what areas of attraction you should be working and focusing on first. This will be the foundation of your journey to becoming a more attractive person to your spouse, to your friends and family, but most of all, to yourself. Click the link in the show notes to take the free assessment today. Dr. Shana, I'm very excited to have you on and talk about mental health, self-love. I'm sure we're going to get into a lot of great topics, but very excited to have you on. Thank you for joining me today.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Kimberly. I'm excited to chat with you.
0: Yes. Okay. So let's first start by talking about mental health. So can you explain and give a definition of what mental health is? Because people might hear that and have their own definitions that they're thinking about. How is it that you explain it? There are a lot of different angles we could take from this. And
1: I like that you point out that other people may have different definitions. And I want to say that when I share mine doesn't necessarily mean that there's this Wrong, right? Mm-hmm. It's just the area that I operate from. I like mm-hmm. to operate from mental health and mental wellness too. So I kind of throw that in mm-hmm. as we often think about what well being looks like in a very physical form, our body. But at mm-hmm. the end of the day, our minds are in our bodies um, as well. And our mental, in terms of our emotional, Our cognitive, our social well-being are all key components in our mental well-being. That is just as essential as how strong and vibrant we feel in terms of our physical well-being. They do interact. So mental health affects physical health. And I would even venture to say it's not just those two. So I operate from an integrative model that sees lots of forms of wellness, like digital well-being and community
0: well-being as well. Ooh. So, do you take well being and have you broken it down into certain pillars? So, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned this because in the self love workbook, there is an activity
1: that kind of does exactly what we're talking through right now. It starts with, you know, how do you define wellness? Because I think it is so personal from person to person. There are some things that may tether us together, but it is really personal. And then from there, it goes into, well, what domains of wellness. Are important for you, right? Um, the example I give that is a good one sometimes of, you know, some people might have spiritual well being be really, really important to them, and others might not, right? So it's not as arbitrary. It's important for us to reflect. So in that activity there I think there's about like 10 sample domains but I do see it as like they're all separate they're all very important fostering one may take from another but also if we're clever about it fostering one may also give to another too and it all comes into our overall well-being
0: Hmm, that's a I love that way of looking at it how it could be based on a person's own what they enjoy or are drawn to more or matters more to them can help base these what they their pillars are of well being. I think that's a fascinating way way to look at it. So when you're working with people and they're they don't feel like they're mentally as healthy as they could be, what are the symptoms that they might be coming to you and saying, This is what I'm struggling with? What are you seeing there? Oh,
1: that's a great question because I kind of take that on two realms. Because people may reach out to me not knowing what I do within mental health and may not be reaching out because of the areas that I specialize in, which include anxiety, trauma, identity, culture, and self love. They may just be reaching out because something's off with them. And I think. We, when we are intuitive and able to connect and self-reflect, we just know when we're off and we're not at our best. That can look so many ways, right? As I realize I'm not performing that well at school, I realize my relationships are struggling, I notice that I'm really nervous all the time, I realize I can't get out of the house anymore, I notice I'm feeling really lonely. So, I mean, the symptoms are really widespread. Um, They can be physical too. Too, which to kind of go back to that connection between mind and body, a lot of times folks come to me when they have kind of exhausted the physical realm of health. So they know something's off physically, like say they have, you know, trouble breathing or trouble sleeping, which might go into that physical category. And then after doing sleep tests or after going to see a pulmonologist, like, well, it's ruled out that I'm fine. But they might be fine physically, but there might be an underlying mental health condition that could be coming up with
0: physical symptoms, too. And so what are some of those mental health conditions that, that could be exposing themselves physically?
1: That could have physical symptoms. Any any yeah. mental health condition, because it exists in the body, especially if it's not being addressed, can cause physical symptoms. But to just go with the most common, which are anxiety and depression, depression can cause you to feel like you have low energy, you have clouded thoughts, difficulty concentrating because of that. You might be feeling lonely, isolated, disconnected from others. You may struggle to comprehend things, especially if we're comparing it to a time that you were not depressed. So all all of those can come up in physical energy in the body, you can start to have, be sick a little bit more to use anxiety as the opposite out, realm, really fast heart rate, um, panic attacks, a lot of times people mistake panic attacks for heart attacks, um, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. So they go through all of the, you know, either, first of all, even calling 911, or even just thinking, did I just have a heart attack, mm-hmm. and realizing your heart is technically fine, but it could be an underlying anxiety. But The point is any mental health condition, especially if it's unaddressed and if it is surmounting, can start to give physical symptoms of any kind.
0: Sure. Now, you mentioned the there were five things that people typically you help work with them through. So I can't remember the first two you said, but you said identity, culture and Identity, culture,
1: anxiety, trauma, those often go hand in hand for my practice, I'll share. And um, self-love is the overarching one that I work with all clients to improve their self-love.
0: So talk to me more about mental health and popular culture. What does that mean when, when you say it? And how does culture affect mental health? Yeah, so... They are interchangeable in the sense that
1: one changing can shift another, both for society at large, but also for a person. So when I think, you know, pop culture is that's whatever we're addressing in this current frame and time. And I will say one positive aspect of that is mental wellness, the more health oriented movement and moving from stigma, stereotypes and only seeing mental illness that has shifted a lot and has gotten a lot of attention in popular culture. So, you know, I got to tell you, when I was back starting my master's program, I was like, wow, this is interesting. What being a counselor is like is really nothing like I see it in the shows and in movies. And I'm like, what's mm-hmm. this discrepancy here? And it's getting better. So I tell you, I'll see some things now, and I'm like, oh, that actually. That sounds like something I said yesterday. So there's a little bit more alignment there. But also popular culture, we think about our icons, right, from influencers to celebrities and everything in between is everybody has mental health. So we will all experience some sort of mental health issue at one point or another, either directly to ourselves or someone else, just statistically speaking, that's what it's going to be. And many times you have people on bigger platforms who are willing to share about their mental health conditions, or even they just end up getting exposed about their mental health conditions. Now pair this with a society that's more willing to talk about it. We still have a long way to go, asterisk there. But we're more willing to talk about it, then that means that mental wellness is gaining more traction in pop culture and in our society and culture at
0: large. Mm. Okay, gotcha. So then what do you think would be the ideal where there, what would it look like for there to not be a stigma around mental health? How would it be talked about? How would people pursue getting the help they need if there were no stigma?
1: Oh, gosh. I mean, how utopic. It's, it's something I would love to dream about because I w- hope we get there one day. So if I can imagine a world in which we're not using mental health stereotypes anymore, we're not biased against what we believe and like a certain person has mental health. And we just really acknowledge that we all have mental health and we have the ability to either foster wellness or neglect it and then develop illness. I think there would be a more ubiquitous nature in how we foster wellness. So we would see it kind of at every turn of the way, right? I envision more of like when someone conceives a child, we're already talking about mental health for this new child's life. As that child goes into grade school, instead of only learning more academically rigorous things, they're also learning about mindfulness, coping skills, meditation, relaxation that perpetuates throughout life. You can see that. And more of like social clubs for kids or teams, hobbies, and that gets ingrained as so important that that gets fostered throughout adulthood and maintains as we build long-term important relationships, whether those are romantic, familial, business, community relationships. I'd like to think that that would be a world of easy access, resourcefulness, and community support around what seems like an individual, but is more of a social issue. Hmm. I love that. That was a great description. It's a dream. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully we'll get there, but it's a, it's a nice dream
0: to kind of step into. So thanks for asking about that. The, the social media world that we have right now, there are parts, which you have already said, you know, having certain icons or influencers or even people like yourself who are talking about this mental well being and the importance of it, that is helpful and it's great. Is there, what are you seeing overall in positive and negative ways as the influence and impact of technology on mental well being? I love
1: this question because it's one of those that really goes both ways. And I find that to be empowering for us to realize that because sometimes when you stop, and especially if you self-assess or you see how it's affecting someone else, it's easy to see the negative in technology. And I think it's important to recognize that there are some good. So, and that's pretty much what's echoed in the literature in terms of digital well-being where we're at today. Of course, there's so many gaps, especially for different social platforms. Um, But with that being said, it's kind of what you make it, right? So if you already know that you're in a bad headspace, Social media is likely not going to make it better unless you make the concerted effort to make it better. Right. So if you're making the concerted effort, then you are trying to reach out to folks to make connections, like say someone in a more rural area doesn't feel understood or accepted in their small area. But if there's someone across the globe who they can connect with, that can give a sense of affirmation validation that could really make mental health, you know, improve in that area. But then there's the other aspects of it is if it's not being used intentionally, there could be that comparison aspect, right? And then pair that with doom scrolling, poor boundaries, sleep quality issues, social issues, and it can get really bad too. But I really try to find some solace in the idea of if we realize how much digital wellness is important to us, then we can foster our digital hygiene. So we don't have to fall into that doom scrolling type loop that we don't even realize what's causing mental health issues as we're just subconsciously kind of ingesting them.
0: So let's just like, let's take out the part of social media where it, let's watch who you're watching and who you're following and things like that. But just the addictive nature of it, do you think that has an impact on well-being? Well, there's amazing studies around
1: that aspect that shows that there is an addictive method and it fires off in the brain just like a substance addiction would, which I think that's enough to know that yes, it's a problem. So we wouldn't say that substance addiction isn't an issue. If there's a similar pattern that's happening in the brain, the addictive quality, although it's more of a process or behavioral addiction, as we would call it, because it's not substance, it is still affecting us in many ways, right? So I think of like, if you were in that loop, I always use doom scrolling because it's like a vivid thing that someone can use the imagery for. If you're in that loop, then you're not spending time elsewhere. You're just regurgitating what is given to you. You don't have a lot of your own initiative in the process. So it's a very passive process for mental health, whereas mental wellness requires a lot of presence and engagement. So even just from that rudimentary realm, it's kind of the opposite.
0: Hmm. What that made me think of as you were, as you were talking is, yes, when you get in that, in that mental mindset of scroll fast, consume a lot, you know, run from here to there, like get a bunch of things done and you're not as present as focused on one thing at a time, right? That's actually our neural pathways, right? Like we can train them to want that stimulation. And if we're not careful, or if we're not mindful about slowing down, focusing on one thing, which can be a hard habit to learn after you're used to so much happening, that it, it takes training, right? Is this, am I on track with with You this? are
1: totally on track, Kimberly. And I would say something that I do with my clients, because what I've realized is sometimes when I'm talking to folks, I realize like, ooh, this sounds like we're spending too much time either on your mm-hmm. phone, on social media, what have you. So I will give them an accountability assignment to say, okay, every time you open your phone, you know, jot down what time you started, jot down what time mm-hmm. it stopped, right? So now you, you're you having to think about it. It's bringing it to the forefront of your mind. Whereas for many folks, it's so passive and that's what they're designed to do, right? They're designed to be so easy. Like I didn't even realize I just picked up my phone and opened up Instagram or Twitter or what have you. Um right. So providing that level of awareness and accountability, I've had a lot of folks share, like, I was so surprised how much time I was spending. And then that activity we we build on, right? So like, okay, now every time you open it, say, what is your intention? And every time you're away from that intention, close it, right? So if the intention is, I want to see how my friends and family are doing, fine. Well, now how did we get off somewhere shopping? right? That's not what you said you were intended to do. Come back to your intention. So talking about the neural pathways and the concept of neuroplasticity, if we bring our awareness to it, we can shift it and change it. So we're not doomed to have to just deal with that just because we want to utilize those platforms.
0: Yeah. Now you have a strong presence on on Instagram, right? So I was
1: Sure. Strong is arbitrary, but Instagram is my main social platform that I do care about. You're
0: you're doing great things on it. So how do you not fall into the, into the trap of either comparison on there or, or maybe even a feeling of overwhelm? Like, do you give yourself grace and breaks if you just have uh, several days where you're like, I, I don't, I can't today? How does that work when it's a main, such a main source of, of, you know, leads and audience and all of that for you? Oh, I appreciate you asking this question because a lot of times where I get kickback, even
1: with clients is, but I'm on there for work. So how do we blend those boundaries? And going back to our original question about wellness, you can see how these wellness areas, like if I want to improve my digital wellness, then does that mean that my career wellness needs to suffer? Right? So it's really, really tricky in that way. Being aware is really important. And something that I always try my best to hold myself accountable to is I would not tell a client to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. So I have done those accountability exercises and that's how I know that they can work because I tried them on myself. I'm like, okay, it did help realizing that. There's a lot of really wonderful built-in tools, both for social platforms and most phones that you can utilize that. So checking what your screen time is looking at the breakdown. Are you happy with that? Right. Building boundaries for yourself. So I'm the time factor really works for me. I've even said and have done the timer. Like I really don't need more than five minutes on Instagram. So let me set the timer and do that. Um, I think we all get hopped up. I would be lying to you if I would say I have never caught myself doom scrolling and the doom scrolling is not just like the endless scroll. It's comparison or realizing, oh, my mind is going to like an unhealthy place. I think we all find fall prey to that. It's only human for us to, it's about what we do in response to that, that shows mental wellness. And I think that's possible for us all. So strong boundaries are key. Practicing what you preach. You know, I hear a lot of parents trying to instill some really excellent digital boundaries for their children, but then they're glued to their phones. So, you know, making sure we're willing to really,
0: you know, walk the walk, talk, talk. Absolutely. Okay. So let's talk about self-love. And how, so how did you create this workbook that you have about self-love, the things that you have incorporated into it and how does it fit in with mental health? Thanks for asking that. Self-love is a deep passion area of
1: mine. Um, and you know, I'd like to say it's always been, but I only developed the passion area when I realized how important it was for me and how much I had lacked Mm. it. Um, the workbook comes really from a personal and professional journey, although there's literature in there, that's really where that comes from. In my practice with clients working with a variety of different concerns, while everyone was so unique, there was one thing that actually was consistent across the board and there was this lack of self-love. At that time, I had already worked on mine. It's always in progress, by the way. But I had already done a decent amount of work in mine that I said, okay, well, maybe some of the things that I did could help folks. Um, just like that accountability digital wellness activity. That's kind of how it started. It was just these were these one-off things. And then I realized, you know, self-love is such a cloudy concept for most folks. I was like, okay, I get it. I get that I need to love and care for myself the way I love for other people. And if I want them to love me, I should probably do that first, but, but how, and that's where just like these standoff exercises became worksheets. And then the worksheets became blogs. And then there was, you know, I think we need a practical guide while it does look different from everyone for everyone that there is something that we can use to kind of help us
0: along the way. And that's where the self-love workbook came from. I love it. What are the main tenets that you use to be a part of self-love?
1: So I believe that in general, when we foster self-love, we are more well. So going back to that original question of wellness, it's well, more well in what way it's more well in whichever way is important to you, right? So the more you care for yourself, the more you will realize it's important for you to be well, and you will invest in that conscientiously. Now, the different segments of self-love, I spent a lot of time kind of breaking that down to try to understand how can I make this the most clear for folks? I believe there are seven segments according to the method that I utilize, and that's self-awareness, self-exploration, self-care, self-esteem, self-kindness, self-respect, and self-growth. These can go hand in hand. There is somewhat of a sequential nature to them, but once you're in the midst of it, they kind of ebb and flow, one affects another. And I found these to be really the foundational blocks of building self-love from person to person. Looks different, sounds different, different reactions, different obstacles for everyone, but I've really noticed that folks have really fit into these different segments, regardless of where they are in their path.
0: Dr Shanna, can you give me a definition of
1: each of those? Sure yeah let me let me try to do them in order because they kind of do build on one another so self-awareness is often just the willingness to reflect to just see it as it is to be conscientious of self-exploration is delving just a little bit deeper into that willing to really excavate, understand, dig deep, and know who you are so your identity, your place in the world, what you want out of the world and the life that you're living self-care is the one that I hear talked about the most these days and Mm -hmm. often gets used interchangeably with self-love but I actually don't believe they're the same self-care I see are more of like the tangible behaviors that you take part in to better take care of yourself self-esteem is how you view yourself self-kindness is are you friendly to yourself and the spectrum that is entailed within that Self-respect is how you advocate for yourself and self-growth is recognizing the humble perspective that you are a lifetime learner, being willing to commit to a process of continued growth and not allowing stagnancy
0: in your world. Mm. Okay. Let's talk about self-care because like you said, that one is popular right now. A lot of people are talking about it. Yep. I'm not so sure everyone's talking about it the healthiest way. Mm. But I would love to get your insight into that. So you said it's these tangible things that we do. Yeah. So is that just anything? I mean, is that? <laughs> I feel I'm like you're sitting it. on a good example. You know, when you say, I'm not
1: sure. <laughs> I, I feel like you're sitting on a good example that we should use to kind of workshop
0: the definition. Well, I think I could think of a lot of examples, but <laughs> so here's one. Here's one for me. Okay, I don't know that it's the best form of self-care for me to binge Netflix for seven hours. Now, there could be something there, like I need rest, but I don't know that that's the best actual form of self-care or like going to get a pedicure. I think it's fun, but is it actually self-care? Oh, I
1: love where you're going with this. The one that I would toss in there, because it's the one that I always use, is I get all these emails like, buy these shoes for self-care. And I'm like, gosh, I do want the shoe. But the, wait, self-care? What are you What are you talking about? I was going to buy the shoes, but the self-care aspect of it takes it over the edge. And I think what you're getting at there is why I believe self-care is only a part of self-love. And why mm-hmm. some folks who are trying to invest, whether financially, energetically, you know, in their self-care, realize like it's falling flat. It's because mm-hmm. it's not the nuanced thing. So self-care is recognizing what your needs are and coming up with the most tailored method or methods to best meet those needs in your overall context. Right. So to go to the pedicure example, or my shoes example. If you are struggling financially and you are on a really tight budget, self-care at that time does not look like spending something that is extra. Self-care at that Mm -hmm. time is what do I need? I need to make sure that I keep food on the table, that I keep a roof over my head. So then how do I then make that happen? Going to work, you know, paying my bills on time if possible, asking for help if need be. Those are forms of self-care in that context, right? So there are some things we can do that kind of meet a need, but it's kind of like tossing at the bullseye and you're getting in some sort of periphery. So you might feel like temporarily better, but there are lots of actions that you can do and you might still feel like it falls flat and that's where I believe the other parts of self-love come in because if you don't have boundaries, for example, that you're working on, then that's going to mean your self-care is only going to go so far, right? And you might actually be hurting yourself with that level of self-care. Binging Netflix is a great example. I love that you were able to extract the need for that might be rest, right? So what are other ways I can rest? Is there a way that I can rest better? than whatever many hours on Netflix, right? Or how can we blend, can I watch this one thing, not actually binge something and then get a different form of rest, right? So giving grace and you know, allowing ourselves to still indulge in things that may be beneficial to our wellness, but not using it to an extent that we are not doing the work
0: that we need to do. Makes total sense. So understanding that self-care is tailored based on the individual and their situation. What are, what are some that you would still recommend to people as a general place to start for healthy forms of self-care? Yeah. So
1: the way I try to think about it is what are the things that we all have in some capacity? And that's a beating heart and we'll always need breath. Right. So those are the ones that I think can benefit anybody is even just the willingness to pay attention to your heart rate and use that signaling to say, I need self-care. So, of course, this is different if you are in the middle of sprinting, you know, at that given time or some sort of rigorous workout But other than that, our heart rate should not be picking up tremendously. So if you're noticing that, use that signal to then step back. A key way is to then link in your breath. And a lot of times people kick back at this because they're like, "I, I breathe, obviously I'm breathing now, breath work, it's silly but it's the conscientious way that you breathe that makes all the difference. So there's so many different breathing techniques and I encourage folks to try a variety to see which one fits for them. But I love a good slow inhale through the nose and slow exhale through the mouth. I personally like to pair this with squared breathing. I start with a count of four. So inhale visualizing one side of the square, exhale visualizing the second side, and repeat for the remaining two sides. It gives you something visual, something numerical to count on, something to pace. And it's a really nice reset. If we slow our breath down, we get quality oxygen to the brain that we can think clearly. And we're also able to slow the heart rate down, which takes us out of that fight flight response, which we may not be operating at our best
0: from. Hmm. Just hearing you talk about it is making me more relaxed. <laughs> just thinking of breathing is making me more relaxed. Another one that, that I should do more, I haven't done it in a while, but I used that Breathe app on my Apple Watch. Yeah. And it, I just like the vibration. Like there's two oh. different vibrations for in the and out. Hoptic feedback. Yeah. Yes. Hoptic feedback. So that, was, that helped me stay focused as I was breathing.
1: You know, I love that because that's something that you're able to do and kind of surrender to and follow that guide. And there are two Mm -hmm. things that come up for me there. It's like maybe your breath work, maybe some of the, cause that's how I like to work with clients, right? Like we figure out what already works. How can we build on that, right? Something I think is, is it something haptic that helps for you? So like, if you don't have your Apple watch that day, right? Can you tap and would that give you the rhythm Mm. that you need? If you are really overwhelmed, And you have access to a loved one can they tap for you to regulate at a slower pace is it something that you're able to kind of okay i I need it to be guided for me can someone count for you and you can listen in like a guided meditation could that work so that's an example of how you take a coping skill that is in your self-care toolkit and you can expand from it it's understanding what it does, how it works, why it works, and then that helps you to branch out to add some more
0: tools to the toolkit. Let's talk about self-kindness. Okay, you You mentioned what it was, but let's go deeper. I mean, what does it actually look like for a person to be kind to themselves? It
1: starts with what it sounds like, actually. It's very internal and it exists more as the relationship you have in your mind as your inner dialogue, your self-talk, whatever we want to call it. A lot of times we were like, you just want me to listen to voices in my head. Like I thought, I thought we don't want to listen to voices in our head. It is your own conscience. So it's actually connecting to that. It's going all the time, but a lot of times we're not paying any attention to it. So the first thing is to pay attention to how you're thinking. A lot of folks are surprised with how they're thinking because there might be, this person is mean to me, or this person is blaming me, or people are always like this. And you realize, ooh, I'm mean to me. And there's a level of accountability that shifts there. As you start to work on holding yourself accountable to be kind to yourself with your self-talk first, it then starts to kind of branch out from there into the behaviors, how you're kind to yourself in terms of action. You mentioned giving yourself grace, which is a wonderful example of self-kindness, being able to be more flexible. And then there's a kindness you're able to offer other people more genuinely if you're able Mm -hmm. to be kinder to yourself, too.
0: Hmm. Did you see a lot of people struggling with this in relation to food? And I guess what I mean by that is I was having a, a, a conversation with one of my friends last night, and we were talking about the cycle that people get into with they try and diet, and they try a diet that's way too hard, and then they end up failing, and then they try and punish themselves mm. by restricting the food. And then it like starts this all over again, instead of just allowing themselves to either love them themselves as they are now, or um, not follow such a strict diet protocol that, you know, could lead to this cycle of kind of shame and guilt and, and all of that. So what are some of the things you see that trigger not being kind to ourselves? Anything and
1: everything can food is a great example. It's a common example, but it really depends on our own history and our own stuff, right? So food is just a a wonderful example because it's linked so much to the idea of health, but also body image and how much of that is trying to fit into a mold versus accepting ourselves for who they are. There's, there's so much in that, but you mentioned As you were talking, there were two key words that came to mind with me, even if we were to use the example of food, and that's modeling and punishment. So a lot of times we don't realize, but what we do is what we saw. And we either saw it from parents, immediate family, community around us, or society at large. We are more influenced by modeling when we're children, and that's when that kind of sets the foundation. But we are very much influenced by people around us, even as adults, too. So we shouldn't write that off then. But a lot of times we're just recreating that unhealthy dynamic. And that's all we know, you know what you know. So unless you realize it doesn't work, and you get off the hamster wheel, you're just doing what you received within that punishment, because you mentioned, you know, in that cycle, you know, you try diet, that's too hard doesn't work out, then you punish yourself by restriction that word punishment just strikes me so much of like, there's an idea that punishment helps, right? Like if yeah. I punish you to your room or, you know, let's hope it's that level of punishment and it's nothing too aggressive, of course. Um, but even that it's now you're going to think about if this, this will help you because you're being punished. Even that thought, can be ingrained in our memories. Like punishment is helpful. And I'm not talking about punishment in like the behavioral conditioning way right now. I'm talking about punishment, like the punitive structure that someone would use to reprimand someone else with. And that can become internalized. So a lot of the difficulties around us can become internalized, become our self-talk and can become our own personal triggers. And anything that let, any stone that's left unturned in the idea of who we are and what we've endured that isn't directly addressed can form and is going to be likely a trigger.
0: Hmm. I can see that. I can definitely see that. So let's the last one I have time to ask you about, although we can talk about so many more of these, but self-growth. So this is one that When I hear it i kind of think it's it's the best one to end on because it leads to more right it's kind of this open-ended grow Um, more feed into yourself so what are the ways that you encourage people to have more of that self-growth in their lives so what i love about self-growth
1: and i'm glad that you recognize that it's a nice way to end on because i did have that intentionally as the seventh segment although i mentioned they can be interchangeable depends on your path whatnot Because if you're doing all the other things and you're investing and, you know, self-assessing, you're already in your growth journey because you're constantly doing that. So if you're paying attention and saying, okay, let me look at my seven segments. And even if we want to just for this, leave out self-growth and look at the other six, if you're looking at that, investing in that, you're already on that process, right? Um, but to build on that, intention setting um aligning with our values so if we do a deeper reflection of who we are and what is meaningful to us and then slowly over time trying to recalibrate so there is full alignment there that's within our self growth journey too and then there's also the growth that kind of emanates beyond self love right so knowing that self love when you invest in yourself you're also then more able and capable to help other people too. So that growth can start with you and should start with you because you're the only person that's within your management at the end of the day. But now you can talk about how that can grow a better, healthier relationship with everyone in your life, where whether it's your neighbor, your partner, your child, whomever.
0: That's fantastic. Dr. Shana. tell us where people can find out more about you your Instagram and also where they can get the self-love workbook. So if you want to find out about me, you can find all this information
1: on my website, drshayna.com. And as you noted, my most active platform is Instagram. So that's the easiest way to find me at drshayna. All the information about the self-love workbook, the self-love workbook for teens and Luna finds love everywhere. a Self-love book for kids. It's all up there. In addition to lots of helpful tidbit information, like we were able to chat about today.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. And we will be sure to put all of those in the show notes as well so that people can easily access any of those things that you talked about.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate chatting with you today.
0: Here are my key pies takeaways for today's episode. The first one is that mental wellness really is something to focus on. We see it as part of the pies. If any of you have been around for a long time, you know, that's the physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual parts of ourselves that I focus on and am passionate about. And the mental aspect of it, the way we think, the way that we, we talk to ourselves, the way that we can control our thoughts, all of that can fall under our intellectual attraction, which has an impact on our physical, emotional, spiritual, and, and all of the things. So really focus on and ask yourself, what can I start doing today to take care of my mental well-being? The second key takeaway is what are you doing for self care? And is it something that's actually moving you towards finding more of that wellness, finding more of that space of of rest? Or is it actually not feeding you and giving you the rest and rejuvenation that you're needing? So ask yourself what it is that you can do for actual healthy self care. And then my third key takeaway for you today is we talked about that self-growth that is the pies that is the focusing on yourself physically intellectually emotionally spiritually continuing to grow continue to invest in those four areas of your life to be the best and most attractive that you can be to yourself and to all of the other people in your life so what are you doing to work on your pies i hope you enjoyed today's episode friends i hope you enjoyed today's show Remember to follow It Starts With Attraction anywhere you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. The more positive reviews we get, the more positive change we can make for relationships and for individuals around the world. For show notes, updates, and the opportunity to join our email list for encouraging weekly strategies for you to become the best that you can be in all areas of your pies, go to piesuniversity.com. Again, that is piesuniversity.com. Keep working on your pies and always remember it starts with attraction.